You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bayshore this morning. If you're new, I'm Pastor Danny. We're so glad that you're with us today. And uh, we want to say hello to everybody watching online. I want to say hello to uh, hello to Callie Moore, who helped yesterday from Salisbury, uh, helping with the serve day. And I want to thank everybody that helped yesterday during the serve day. And let's give a big welcome to our Fenwick Island campus right now that's joining us right now. Thank you guys for joining us. They had a great serve day as well yesterday as we served our community. So we're in a series called Showdown in Egypt, and this is the first part of the book of Exodus. So we're looking at uh, the story of Moses, and we'll be getting to the, the plagues of Egypt and how they got out of Egypt and all that, and seeing how this relates to our life and can help us. So last week we talked about how they were in Egypt in chapter 1. Uh, they went there uh, because of a famine. A problem got them in Egypt, and then God had prepared a solution before they even and knew they had a problem, and God provided Joseph there to give him food and all of that. And today we're going to be looking at the uh, story uh, of Moses' birth when he was born, his very, very important figure in the Old Testament and in the Bible in general. So this is a big deal when Moses was born and how he came to be. Uh, there, just remember this, that when Israel went into Egypt, Jacob and his family, just 70 people, 70, some, uh, some texts say 75, it's sort of a rounded number in certain cases. So you got 70 people that go, and then 430 years later, there's 2 million Jews in Egypt. And the Pharaoh is being threatened, and he's upset about that, and so there's all this going on. And so then there's a big birth that takes place. This is the solution to the problem of the Israelites in, in Egypt. So let's look at the story of Moses' birth. Uh, here it is. Uh, now a man of the tribe of Levi, this is chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man of the tribe of Levi named, uh, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months, but when she could hide him no longer... She got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, who was Miriam, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe with her attendants, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. The girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, we don't know what month Moses was born. Uh, we uh, scholars guess that he was born around 1526 B.C. The, uh, the exodus when the children of Israel leave, the, uh, leave Egypt is somewhere in the uh, 1400 B.C. area. So we don't know exactly when he was born. Uh, we know ballpark the year, we think. 
But uh, it's interesting. He was born, and it was a big deal when he was born. And I was thinking about uh, people that are born, birth stories. Now, I don't know if you know this. Uh, most people in America are born between the months July and uh, October, July and October. How many of you in this audience or this crowd today, you were born between July and August? Just raise your hand there. Okay. So uh, the CDC has studied and found out that uh, most people in America are born between the, the uh, months of July and October. I was born October 27th, my birthday coincides with the birthday of Teddy Roosevelt and also Bill Gates. And we have different portfolios, but we were born on the same day, not the same year, I don't think. But anyhow, now here's the biggest month, the biggest month where uh, people are born in America. The highest month of birth is the month of August, the month of August. Now, that is statistically, more people in America were born in August than any other month. Let me ask this question. How many people in this audience today, you are born in August? Raise your hand. Ain't about that? Okay, this is an unusual crowd then. So, how about that? Well, they, they say, you know, according to data, that most people are born, uh, the majority of the biggest month of birth is August. My son Tim was born on August uh, 6, and uh, that was his, his birthday. They calculate that the reason people are born in August is that means that they were conceived in December. Uh, you know, after Christmas, the, you know, the fire, the fireplace and the romance and, and it's dark and it's cold and there's nothing to do. So anyhow, <laughs> a lot of babies are born then in August, you know, it's like that, you know, Hey, getting dark, nothing to do, nothing on TV. So anyhow, people are born then. So, but anyhow, what we know about Moses's birth is he was born in very traumatic times, very, very traumatic times. The Pharaoh wanted to kill baby boys. He wanted to get rid of baby boys because their proliferation of Jewish people in Egypt was threatening uh, his rule, he thought. He was paranoid. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he was born, when Jesus was born, Herod, King Herod, put to death all the baby children around Bethlehem. There's always a parallel between Moses and Jesus. In fact, Moses said uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's going to come a prophet in the future that will be just like me. Moses produced miracles to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. When Jesus' ministry occurred on the earth, he produced all of these miracles. And so there's a lot of parallels between Moses and Jesus. So just as Moses was born in perilous times and there was a threat to his life. Jesus was born in the same way. So that's an interesting part of the story. But just think about this. You know, in, in that time, Pharaoh said, you know, if it's a girl, if it's a Jewish girl, let her live. But if it's a boy, then that boy should be thrown into the Nile River. So if you are a parent in that time, now Moses' parents... Their names are Amram and Jochebed, and we find that in Exodus 6.20. It doesn't tell us in this chapter, but their names was Amram and Jochebed. Now, they get pregnant. They already have two children. They have a, an older boy named Aaron, and they have a, a girl named Miriam already. And so the, she finds herself pregnant. And if you are pregnant in that time, when Pharaoh is threatening to kill all the baby boys and throw them in the river Nile, what are you praying for? 
you're probably praying for a little girl. You're probably, you know, asking the Lord, Lord, give us a little girl so we won't have to have our baby threatened. And it's not clear in the text, but I think it's very possible that Jochebed and, uh, and Amram, when they prayed at night, they're praying, Lord, give us a little girl. And they were picking out, you know, little dresses. And they were painting the new baby room pink. And they're praying for a little girl, and they're going to name her Marsha. But as they're praying for a little girl, when that baby is born, it's a little boy. So sometimes when you're praying, you get the opposite of what you're praying for. And that's the first point of today's talk today. Sometimes you get something different than what you pray for. Sometimes you get something different than what you pray for. Now, there's a, there was a new sub shop that opened up in Millsboro a couple, a couple years ago. And I, I love hoagies. I love subs. And so uh, Karen and I were constantly ordering subs at this new sub store in, Seaford, or in uh, Millsboro. And every time... In the beginning, when I ordered a sub, when I went up and got my bag and brought it home, it was something completely different than what I ordered. I mean, it was like it, was like it got to be a game. Every time I'd come home, I'd wonder what we got this time. I'd put an order in, and I would get the opposite. Sometimes prayer is like that. Sometimes you're asking God, Lord, give me this. Give me this thing I want, and Lord, I'd want to have this particular thing. And when you're praying, you end up with the opposite. If they're praying for a little girl... And the end of a little boy, they actually get the opposite of what they're praying for. And that teaches us something about prayer. Prayer is not so much getting God to do what we want him to do for us. Prayer is aligning ourselves with what God wants and asking God for what his will is. It says in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth just as, is, just as it is in heaven. So when we pray, we need to ask the Lord to align us with his will. Part of praying is not saying, God, I want you to give me what I want. Prayer is just saying, Lord, I am unwise. I'm not very smart. I'm not very uh, in tune with what should happen. And I ask you to give me wisdom. The book of James says, ask him for wisdom and he'll give you wisdom. And he won't, uh, he won't hold back his wisdom from you. So prayer is not simply asking God to do what we want him to do. Prayer is, uh, prayer is asking God, what is your will for, for my life? What do you want to accomplish in my life? Very important principle. Here's what micro prayer. There's a micro prayer and there's macro prayers. Micro prayers are prayers that's based on my comfort. Lord, I want you to give me this because this will make me comfortable. If, I ha if we have a little girl, Amram and Jochebed, that will be comfortable for us. Most of our prayers are, Lord, give me this because this will make me more comfortable. A macro prayer is, what, is a bigger prayer that you pray, Lord, give us what you want to do in our life to accomplish your purposes. To be a person of faith, a person that really follows Jesus, a person that's really a disciple of Jesus is somebody that says, Lord, I'm praying a macro prayer. What is your will? Because I want to happen in my life what will accomplish your purposes. And when, when uh, Jochebed and Amor were praying for a little girl, they were praying a micro prayer, a prayer to make them comfortable 
Instead of praying a macro prayer, Lord, what is your purpose? And what God gave them was a little boy that would fulfill their, his purposes and get the children of Israel out of Egypt. So that's an important thing for us to remember. Here's, here's what I want, you to, I want you to get this big line in this particular point of today's message. Here's, what it, uh, here's, here's something we need to remember about this. Effective prayer is aligning ourselves with God's will, not trying to align God with our will. Effective prayer is aligning ourselves with God's will, not trying to align God with our will. So let's pray. Let's say this together. Effective prayer is aligning ourselves with God's will, not trying to align God with, with our will. So the, the key, it's sort of like uh, uh, Justin Tucker when he's kicking a field goal for the Ravens, and he's like got the best percentages in the NFL. What he does is he, he aligns himself with a ball, he looks at the, the goalpost, and he aligns himself with that. And you can see he takes a couple steps back, and he's aligning himself up with that goal. And then he kicks the goal and goes through, and the other team is weeping. So that's what prayer is. Prayer is, Lord, I, I, it's not like, Lord, this is what's going to make me comfortable. This is what I need. You know, it's not like, you know, I'm sure Jochebed and Amram, you know, they're praying, oh, Lord, give us a little girl. We don't want to go through this, this pressure of what Pharaohs could do to our baby. But they, they failed to pray the prayer they perhaps needed to pray. So that's an important principle. So let me give you a couple little quotes here. Here's something that's important. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. A.W. Tozer says, I am thy servant to do thy will, and that will is sweeter to me than position or riches or fame, and I choose it above all things on the earth or in heaven. So make sure that, you know, when you think about prayer, you know, this story teaches us that sometimes when you pray, you get the opposite of what you're praying for because you're praying from a micro perspective, not a macro perspective. And that's an important thing to remember and for, important thing for us to think about. Now, second point here today is this. Sometimes what God gives us is better than what we wanted, we wanted him to give us. Sometimes what God gives us is better than what we wanted him to give us. You know, sometimes, you know, we think, you know, well, you know, we, we know what's best for us, but God's got something better for us. God's got something even higher for us. We're asking for something down here, here. But in reality, God has something incredibly wonderful for us that's bigger than what we are asking for. And so when they're asking for a little girl, they just want a little girl, something like, you know, some little sweet little girl that they could, you know, help, uh, help uh, Jochebed cook in the kitchen and all that. All that's wonderful. But God wanted to give them a deliverer. God wanted to give them something great. And Miriam... Uh, not Miriam, but uh, Jochebed, Moses' mother, she sees it when the baby's born. It says in verse 2, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and when she saw him, that she, and when she saw, when, but when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she saw this baby... She saw that he was a fine child. Now, it's a little bit of debate about what that means, that he, she saw that he was a fine child. The, uh, the NLT, the New Living Translation says, she saw he was a special baby. 
Now, some translations say he was a beautiful baby. How many know that all babies are beautiful to their mother? How many know that's true? I mean, I've been to the hospital before and see new, newborns, and they just think it's the most beautiful baby in the world, and it looks like it's been a car wreck. I mean, that baby. <laughs> the head's shaped funny. The eyeballs are, like, different, you know. And, and you know, what do you say as a pastor? That's a baby. Wow, that is a baby, you know. But she said he's a, she saw he was a fine child. So he was a beautiful child. She saw he was a special child. The book of Acts says that uh, as Stephen's preaching about Moses, he said when his parents saw him, they saw he was no ordinary child. Now, evidently, uh, Jochebed in the text in Exodus, she's the one that had discernment. Doesn't say that Amram had discernment. It says that Jochebed had discernment. The mother had discernment. Sometimes, you know, in a household, we need to remember that our wives, you know, can hear the Lord. They can have discernment. This woman has discernment. You know, it doesn't say what Amram thought of it in the text. You know, he was probably making bricks and he was preoccupied. But when she held that baby, she saw and she sensed that there was something special about that baby. And what I believe is that that as Jochebed rocked little Moses and she saw he was no ordinary child and she had discernment that this child was special, I believe that she began to pray over him. Lord, we know you got something for this boy. I, I don't, I'd look in his face and I see there's something amazing. And I think that she began as an infant, as Moses was an infant, she began to speak into his soul. She began to speak into his spirit that he was going to be a, a man of destiny, a man of purpose, a deliverer. And I think that she began to ignite inside of that little baby something of profoundness that God was going to use this baby in a great way. You know, everybody needs somebody to discern the potential in us and speak to that potential. Everybody needs somebody that recognizes that we have potential and recognize it and begin to speak into that. And I believe that as Moses' mother, Jochebed, saw little Moses, I think she discerned the incredible potential in this special child. And she began to pray over this child, began to speak to this child. And as she spoke to this child, God was beginning to ignite in that little infant's heart his destiny and his calling. That's the important thing. I was thinking about how uh, sometimes people don't recognize the potential in people. Probably the best quarterback in the, uh, in, in the NFL is uh, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and he's a great quarterback. If you're an Eagles fan, I know they beat us in, in the Super Bowl this year and you don't like Patrick Mahomes. But he's probably, I think, probably the best quarterback in the NFL and uh, you would think that everybody would recognize his great potential. He was drafted uh, to, to the Kansas City Chiefs in 2017 from Texas Tech. And when he was drafted, what happened was one of the uh, reporters from USA Today, the, the sports editor, wrote this about their choice of Patrick Mahomes. They said, this writer says, uh, he says this, calling Mahomes a project is a major understatement. He is nowhere near ready to play in the NFL, and honestly, he may never be. Between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, 
His tendency to bail from clean pockets and his lack of field vision is going to leave as many big plays on the field as he creates. This was a risky pick, and the, and, and the sports editor for USA Today gave them a C- minus on the choice of Patrick Mahomes. But somebody... Somebody in that organization saw the incredible potential because he was drafted in 2017. In 2018, the 2018 and 2019 season, he led them to the AFC championship game. The next year, he led the Chiefs to the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl in 50 years. So somebody saw the potential, somebody recognized the potential, and sometimes the potential is not obvious to everybody, but when Moses was born, his mother saw something in that little infant, and she spoke to it, and she spoke to it, and God began to do incredible things in that little infant, and God began to raise him up as a, as a great leader. We need, everybody needs somebody to recognize our potential and speak to that potential and awaken that potential in us so that we can become everything we are called to be. My, uh, my preaching and my uh, teaching style, I mean, I'm constantly evolving in that. After 40 years, I'm still trying to learn how to preach. But uh, the guy that, that influenced me the most was a guy named uh, Fred Craddock. He was a teacher from, at Emory, Emory University. Uh, and I listened to all of his sermons. I liked the style. I liked the way he told stories. I liked the way he communicated. He was liberal. I'm not a liberal. But I listened to his style and learned from him. He told this story that something that happened to him one time. He, this is a thing that actually happened to him. He said he and his wife, Nettie, were vacationing in the Smoky Mountains. And they were in a restaurant and a big window in the restaurant overlooking the Smoky Mountains. They can see the Smoky Mountains. And they're trying to figure out something to order. And this old man comes up to them, kind of shuffles up to the table. And he said, where are you all from? And he said, well, we're from Atlanta. And uh, they, you know, he said, well, what do you do? He said, well, I teach at the seminary. He said, oh, you're a preacher. And he pulled up the chair and wanted to tell him a story. He said, I was born in these mountains. And he said, I was an Ill, illegitimate child. My, nobody knew who my dad was. I didn't know who my dad was. My mother had me out of wedlock. And he said, in those days, it was incredibly, incredibly embarrassing and shameful to be born out of wedlock. And he said, people at the playground, they would make fun of me. And they'd say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And he said, I, I was covered with shame. He said, there came a preacher up in these uh, hills in Laurel uh, Springs in the hills. And he said, I started going to this church as a little boy. And he said it was a big, heavy preacher, had a big beard, a big booming voice. And he said, I would sit there and I would come late and I'd leave early. He said, I was mesmerized by listening to this big preacher preach. So one day I was so captivated with what was happening that I didn't get out in time and I'm caught in the aisle with all these people and I'll begin to have a panic attack and I'm coming toward that preacher and I didn't want anybody to see me and he said that preacher laid his hand on my shoulder and that preacher said he said boy he said boy whose son are you and the, he said I just I just turned red I was filled with shame he said well boy well, boy, you're a son of the living God. I see a striking resemblance of God's grace on your face. And he slapped me on the britches. 
and he told me to go and collect my inheritance. And Fred Craddock, my preaching model guy, said, sir, what is your name? He said, my name is Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper. And he walked away from the table, and he said to his wife, he said, I said to his wife, Nettie, now I remember that the state of Tennessee twice elected an illegitimate governor named Ben Hooper. You know, everybody needs somebody to discern who they are, to discern their potential. And let me just say this to you. If you're a parent, you need to see things in your kids. When my boys were little, I'd hug on them, lay hands on them. I'd speak life into them. And, uh, you know, my son, Tim, he's doing so good in business. And Joel, he's preaching so well. You know, one of the things that you have to do as your kids, you can't criticize them all the time. You know, they need critiquing and all that. But you want to see the potential in them. You want to speak to that. I do it with my grandkids. I do it with my granddaughter, Willow. I said, Willow, you're so smart. you got all this different ways of looking at life and you've got to speak to the potential in people everybody needs somebody to see who we are and speak to that potential so you see that in the story and then you see this you have to number three this is the third point you have to let things go for God to really work through them you have to let things go for God to really work through them so the Bible says that she kept Moses for about three months and then she made a papyrus basket and coated it with tar and pitch, which is, by the way, the same word, Hebrew word for the word, the ark that Noah was put in. She made this, this basket and the baby was crying perhaps and she couldn't conceal him anymore. And I think that she had a divine plan. But she put that baby in that papyrus basket and she put him in that basket and, and took, Mir, Miriam took him out and the bulrushes and she shoved that little ark down the Nile River and the current of the Nile River carried that little baby in the basket right to the palace where Pharaoh lived. And she had to let him go. And when she let him go, Pharaoh's daughter discovered him. And I think an angel pinched him as soon as Pharaoh's daughter recognized him. He started crying. She felt sorry for him. And she had compassion. Of course, she said to this, she said, uh, boy, this, we're gonna, this is one of the Hebrew children. And she had a heart for this baby. And she picked that baby up. And then Miriam just had to step out of the, uh, the bulrushes. And she said, who's, who, you know, uh, she said that Miriam said, do you want me to go get someone to nurse that baby for you? And, and, and she said, oh, absolutely. So that whole thing worked out. But here's what happened. These things begin to happen um, miraculously as she put the baby in the basket and let the baby go. And when she let the baby go, the miracles begin to happen. And here's the thing about the principle in the story is, is we have to let go of things in order for God to put his grace and blessing on those things to become everything they're meant to be. We need to sometimes let go of things. And, and if we hold on to things that they are our things, if she held on to Moses, this is my baby. This is my baby. It's when she let that baby go and she gave that baby back to God that things really begin to happen in that baby's life. And the Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and all these neat things happen. Now, there's a principle here. The principle is, is that when you hold on and you say, this is mine, things aren't blessed to the level they can be. 
But when you let something go and you give it back to God and you dedicate it to God, that's when God begins to move and he begins to uh, operate. I don't know how many of you ever uh, shopped at Hobby Lobby. How many know Hobby Lobby? Anybody ever shop at Hobby Lobby? Uh, maybe you spent way too much money there. But Hobby Lobby is owned by David Green. And it was started in, I think it was in 1970 in Oklahoma City. Uh, he and his wife, Barbara, borrowed $600. $600 to start making little picture frames in their garage. And they started doing that. And uh, a couple years later, they got a little uh, space, 300 square foot store in Oklahoma City, and Hobby Lobby was born. And now Hobby Lobby has over 700 stores across America. They opened 50 new stores a year, and they have 22,000 employees, and they have $4.6 billion of retail sales every year. And here's, what is the secret to Hobby Lobby? What's the secret to Hobby Lobby? Well, you can find it in the story of David Green. David Green was interviewed about how are you so successful? And if you listen to David Green talk about Hobby Lobby, he will say, we have no debt, zero debt. We, we, teach, we, we give our employees all kinds of benefits. We treat our employees with, with great dignity. And we're, we're opening 50 new stores a day, a year. And then uh, when he's interviewed about what is the success of Hobby Lobby, here's what he said. This is a quote from uh, one of the, uh, the reporters that interviewed David Green. Here's what David Green said. To the question, why is Hobby Lobby so successful? He says, if you have anything, or if I have anything, it's because it's been given to us by our creator, says Green, sweeping his hand over the acres, of, uh, acres laid out before him. So I've learned to say, look, this is yours, God. It's all yours. I'm giving it to you. Hobby Lobby, according to David Green, he's not even giving it to his kids. They're employees of the company. He said, this company belongs to the Lord. This company belongs to the Lord. And if you're a farmer today and you're like out in your fields planting, planting uh, crops this time of, time of year, maybe, maybe the Lord would just have you climb off your tractor one day in the field. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, this farm belongs to you. Maybe if you're a business owner, when all the people leave and you're turning out the lights, you're the last one to leave every night, maybe you'll just like walk in the middle of the store and say, Lord, this store belongs to you. Maybe, you know, whatever it, your endeavor is, one of the things that you can do is say, Lord, whatever I own belongs to you. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I want to do something right now, everybody in Femic Island, everybody here at Millsboro, I want you to lift your hands. Let's dedicate our church to the Lord. Let's dedicate this church belongs to the Lord. Would you lift your hands up to the Lord right now? And let's just have a prayer. That's not the end of the sermon. So don't leave when I get done with this prayer. Okay. <laughs> Say this with me. Lord God, God. Bayshore Bay belongs to you. Its future belongs to you. You're the Lord of it. You own it. It's not run by man. It's run by the Spirit. We dedicate Bayshore Community Church to you. We give it to you, Lord, because it belongs to you. I'll tell you what, 
You know, whatever you have, whatever you have, when you give it back to the Lord, when you give it back to the Lord, miracles begin to happen. Listen to this. Miracles do not happen when we hold on to things. Miracles only happen when we let go of things. Miracles happen when you let go of things. Say it with me. Miracles happen when you let go of things. Very important principle there. I love it. I love that principle. And Jochebed let him go, and God began to work. If you've got some kids, you're adult kids, you're just, they're driving you crazy. Time to just let them go. Let them go. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I'm getting on a side note here that I'll, I'll get away from real quickly, but I'm a big fan of when your kids grow up, you teach them everything you need to teach them while they're at home, and when they, you know, they leave and they go to college and they finish college, let them go. I, I don't micromanage my adult kids. Let them go so God can bless them. When you let them go, God can work, but when you're holding on to them, micromanaging them, you're going to stymie the work of God in their life. Last point today is this. I had more to say on that, but this, we're out of time almost. So last point. Number, number four, you need to step in and take advantage of opportunities that are in front of you. You need to step in and take advantages of opportunities that are in front of you. In the story, uh, when the Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses, Miriam, who's hiding in the bulrushes, steps out and she says, do you want me to go get somebody to nurse that baby for you? And ironically, she gets the mother of Moses to take care of him for another three or four years. And get this, she's paid by the government to take care of her own baby. How many know that's a good thing? That's a good thing. And so when she let that baby go, and then Miriam, when she saw, and I think this was all stuff that Jochebed and Miriam had talked about. I think there was a strategy in their mind and that, that Miriam uh, was a part of what the Lord had showed Jochebed. And she stepped forward when she saw that baby in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you want me to get somebody to uh, nurse and take care of that baby for you? Now, there's a principle here. The principle is, is when you see an opportunity, when God puts an opportunity in front of you, you step in and you grasp that opportunity. Here's the thing. Uh, stepping, this is a little quote I want you to get. Stepping forward is often a sign of faith, not waiting for something to happen. Stepping forward is often a sign of faith, not waiting for something to happen. I am really, I get very uh, sort of uh, just frustrated with Christians are always in a passive mode, waiting. I'm just waiting for the Lord to do something. I'm waiting for the Lord to do something. My, my son, Tim, who I'm kind of bragging on my kids today, but Tim is really prospering and doing so well. And he says, you know, he's buying properties and developing things. And he said, he said, Dad, every day I pray, I pray for the Lord to show me opportunities. I pray for the Lord to show me opportunities. And here's what faith is. Faith is when God shows you an opportunity, you seize that opportunity. You step in, and that's what Miriam did here. And uh, here's what Tommy Lasorda said, the great uh, coach for the uh, Dodgers, L.A. Dodgers years ago. I'm not even sure if he's still living, but he said this really great saying. There are three kinds of people in this world, people who make it happen, people who watch what happens, and people who wonder what happened. There are three kinds of people in this world, people who make it happen, people who watch what happens, and people who wonder what happens. And, uh, and so Moses' sister 
stepped out and she seized the moment. In the book of, uh, book of Joshua, when Joshua and the children of Israel were coming into the promised land to cross the Jordan River, the Jordan River opened for them. But if you read Joshua, Joshua chapter uh, 3, uh, it says that the Lord said to Joshua and the people, to the priest, to go step into the water and stand in ankle uh, deep before the waters would open. They had to step in. They had to seize the moment, and then uh, the water opened before them. When uh, my boys were little, uh, Tim and Joel, when they were little guys, we used to go every year to see the Orioles play. Uh, and it was back in the days when Cal Ripken uh, was uh, playing. And so every year, we went once or twice. We would go early, usually on a Friday. And we would go and uh, uh, we'd go for batting practice. So we'd stand out there in center field. If any balls went over, we'd try to catch some balls. We'd get some uh, Boog Pal, uh, uh, you know, barbecue on Utah Street there. And it was just always special. We had some great, great memories. Uh, and so after batting practice, what would happen in those days is they would open up the gates into the stadium because before the batting practice, the, the gates were all closed and you were in, on Utah Street there with, where all the, the vendors are. But they would open the gates and after batting practice, the, the uh, players would go down to the dugout and they would open the gates and kids could run down the hallway and they could go down to the uh, dugout and they could get uh, uh, signatures on baseballs. So every year, we, we, the kids would take baseballs. So uh, I, I'll never forget this. Such a great memory for me and my kids. Uh, we're, we're, all those kids are lined up there. And Joel, he's, he's, got his, he's, he's lined up right. He's got a hold of the gates, waiting for the gates to open. And uh, Tim is a little shyer in those days. He's hanging back. And as soon as they open those gates, I can see this as clear as if it happened yesterday. Little nine-year-old Joel, I mean, he's booging. He's booging. He's running down that hallway. He is going for it. He's running down that hallway. And then he makes a turn with all the other kids, and they go down to the, you know, the certain exit, and they go down the dugout. And Joel is leaning over the dugout with a ball out there to get a signature from Cal Ripken. And Tim is a little more shy in those days. He's standing in the back like this, you know, hoping for a miracle, you know, kind of hoping he'll get a... He's certainly changed. He's pretty aggressive now. But this is a Cal Ripken signed baseball. And Joel has three of them. Because when there's an opportunity, every time we went, I mean, he ran and he stuck that baseball out. And when you think about how you're going to be successful in life and how God's going to bless you and how he's going to work in your life, it's not going to be like you sitting back, being passive, asking for something miraculous to happen. You've got to be like Miriam stepping out of the bulrushes and say, hey, do you want me to go get somebody? And there's a principle. God blesses proactive people, people that seize the moment. And say this with me. God blesses proactive people that step forward and seize the moment. I want you to lift your hands right now as we end today's service. And uh, some of you, I just feel compelled to say, whatever you're holding on to, let it loose so God can really bless it. Let it loose so God can really bless it. Some of you uh, 
Some of you just have been waiting for something to happen. It's no longer time to wait. It's time to seize the moments. Let God give you discernment about opportunities that are around you. Get, get a discerning eye. And there's some here today that you're called to speak into the heart of a person and unlock their potential. Father God, we thank you for the story of Moses. We thank you that he was a man born for his time. He was a man born for his time. And Lord, I speak over this congregation. I speak over our community that there'll be Moses is born in this community. That, Lord, their time will come to raise up the standard of the kingdom of God that in business and all kinds of areas where your glory will be manifested. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and we thank you that you got the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses grew up, and he fulfilled what you'd called him to do, and may we also fulfill the mission you've called us to fill. Just lift your hands right now, one real high before we leave. Just say, Lord God, I give my life to you. I don't hold on to it. I release it to you so you can bless it to your full potential. In Jesus' name, and amen and amen. If you love the Lord, say a big amen this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord praise offering. Love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.